Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we are joined by State Senator Joe Comerford. So pleased you could be with us this morning. Senator, thank you. I'd like to ask you about the front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette today. Dateline Northampton, a rainy run to remember. On a soggy Sunday, the 20th annual hot chocolate run raised $778,300 for safe passage. I actually think it's higher than that now and is closer to 800000 than it is to the 778. That said, what a picture, what a day. Soggy indeed, but an incredible event, and you joined us for part of our live, our live coverage on WHMP of the Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage. What were your impressions, and what's your takeaway from this event, Senator Comerford? Hi, good morning, Buzz and Bill. Bill, I was delighted to see you and WHMP there as you are all the time, uh, helping us um, all join, whether in person or virtually, these extraordinary community events. So cheers for WHMP's commitment to community. You know, it was, it, it was really a remarkable day, 20 years. Uh, you know, community has been gathering, not only from Northampton, as we talked about yesterday, but from across the region, people have gathered to support Safe Passage and Safe Passage's vision for a world without violence, without domestic relationship abuse, uh, and the work to support and champion survivors of this violence. Um, so, I, you know, as much as I was smiling, there were absolute moments where I just, you know, a, a tear caught up with me, and it was because I just looked at the sea of people, and we were indeed soggy, but just joyous. Um, to be there. Also, survivors committed to telling their story, um, committed to going on. Also, family members and loved ones of survivors, um, either who were running and walking with them or actually um, who were no longer with us. And it was just one moving story after another uh, for an extraordinarily important organization. It strikes me, Senator Comerford, that this is both a celebratory event and in some ways a an event that reminds us of how much work still needs to be done i mean here we are 20 years safe passage and the the community raised in a very significant amount of money it is a testament i think to this community almost eight hundred thousand dollars raised for this event just after the raising almost half a million dollars for the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts, just uh, a week or so ago, previously known as Monty's March for the Food Bank, uh, that here we are. The Food Bank has a new facility, a large new facility that's really needed, that will be really helpful to people in, the, in, in our communities. And here it is. Well, it's needed. And here we are supporting Safe Passage 20 years after this first hot chocolate run, and it's still needed. It's both sort of good and bad, and I can't yes. quite sort all that out. And I'm wondering if you could help me. <laughs> well, um, it is you're you're saying the right thing, Bill. It is both good and bad, right? The the goodness in it is that this community is really like no other uh, I've ever lived in or ever want to live in. Uh, people in this community rise up again and again and again to do what's right to help those most in need, to work for justice and peace. Uh, it is heartening, inspiring, um, 
it's motivating. All of these good, good things happen because people come out dressed in funny costumes to run in the hot chocolate run. Or Monty Belmonte, God bless him, dresses up as weird Barbie and walks 43 miles with Jim McGovern. That is really beautiful. And you're right that part of what these events remind us is that you know, thousands in our region are food insecure, some are hungry, uh, and still um, Safe Passage's team works tirelessly uh, to support people who have, um, who have faced and are surviving domestic abuse and violence. And, you know, all of these are still realities of our time. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think Monty's Marcher, the March for the Food Bank, and this run, this hot chocolate run does, is it helps break the silence, raise awareness, galvanize all of us, not only to meet the immediate need, but to also really answer the call to end violence and to end hunger, both of which are doable propositions if we join together. You know, Senator Cumberford, I think it's worthy of pausing for a moment to note that here in this community, our Congressman Jim McGovern walks those 43 miles for the walk for the food bank of Western Massachusetts. Now, I admit that Monty Belmonte has been unsuccessful in getting Congressman McGovern to dress up as a Barbie or a candy cane, but McGovern does walk the 43 miles. Talk about walking the walk. We have Jim McGovern for a congressman who does that and, of course, is the leader in the Congress uh, battling food insecurity and hunger in the United States. It's really quite extraordinary. Oh, it's remarkable. Uh, you know, it's absolutely remarkable that Jim does this. Um, it's remarkable that Monty does this. Uh, you know, and many people join year after year after year. I do the second day mostly. And I'll tell you, 26 miles is no joke. And then, you know, when and whenever I think about a foot ache, I think Jim and Monty are walking 43. Um, and so, you know, it is extraordinary. Um the amount of commitment that people show. And again, you know, part of what uh, the Hot Chocolate Run is, part of what Monty's March is, you know, and there are other events, as you know, that are equally beautiful. Um, They are lift all boats events. They invite us all to do what we can. Um, Trans Health Northampton had a pony sweat earlier this year. Um, You know, All Out Adventures has a -a kayakathon. You know, these events offer us the opportunity to join and be part of something greater than ourselves. Um, so it, they are gifts at the same time that they are opportunities for giving. Let me note, because I think this is important to uh, recognize that the hot chocolate run in, raises so much money in part because it has become a very significant uh, road race. And it is, of course... Uh, uh, part of this is the uh, fun run, part of it is the walk, part of it is the uh, uh, the run itself, the competitive run. Let's spend one second just noting from the Gazette's article today, the three top male runners were Brad Mish from Hadley at 15.25, 15 minutes and 25 seconds, Victor Carranza from Northampton at 15 minutes and 35 seconds, and Sigev Mortiz from Amherst at 15 minutes, 53 seconds. The women's race winners, Kayla Lamp 
Olampe, L-A-M-P-E, from Shelburne Falls at 17 minutes, 9 seconds, by Anna, followed by Anna Steinman from Springfield at 17 minutes, 16 seconds, and Eliana Schwanender, I'm sorry, I'm mangling that name, S-H-W-A-N-Y-D-E-R from Northampton at 18 minutes and 26 seconds. And there were year, there were awards this year in the five-kilometer race as well for non-binary participants uh, who local residents did extremely well with their running times. So congratulations to all the winners of those awards. And thank you, Senator Conover, for being at this event, for participating in this event, oh. and also for, frankly, uh, being a leader in the State House for programs that combat violence in our communities. Want to spend one minute telling us a bit about that? Sure, yeah. And I want to say, Bill, that, you know, like the March for the Food Bank, um, the hot chocolate run have been family events for me and my partner and our children. Um, and so, you know, we remember, Anne and I, my wife, remember, you know, the earliest hot chocolate runs. Uh, so she was wearing really proudly a, a button yesterday that said 20, meaning she's been there since the beginning. Mine is 18. Um, but, you know, this is these are beloved events. Um, so... Uh, one of the things we talked about yesterday, Bill, was that I, in the Senate, um, am the lead on uh, advocating for funding for the Massachusetts Office of Victim Assistance, or MOVA, and that is a, an important national lobby for funding, that, uh, some of which goes to you know, organizations like Safe Passage. Uh, so when I fight for that, I fight for Safe, Safe Passage and then all of the other organizations statewide. It's really important that we continue to support with public funding, not only private resources, this uh, survivor work, uh, domestic abuse, uh, relationship abuse survivor work. And it's something I'm really proud to do and I'm grateful to be able to have the ability um, to do it. And it's actually one of the reasons I'm on the road to Boston today is that I'm on Ways and Means. Uh, and we have a consensus revenue hearing and you know, so we'll look at how much money we can spend in the fiscal year 25 budget. And, um, you know, it's my job to get myself into positions where I can be maximally helpful in the region, uh, and which is what I'm trying to do. We are speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford. We'll be back in just a minute. I want to ask the senator about whether there will be a supplemental budget. Can that happen? Shouldn't it happen? Why hasn't it happened? Will it happen today, this week? Also about the gun bill. Will there be sensible gun legislation coming out of the legislature early in the year. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. The person you're sleeping with, you know things about them that maybe you shouldn't know. Like, they got up last night at 3 and went down to the kitchen. How do you know? You have one of those mattresses that, well, let's just say you know things you really don't need to know. Sleep on a Theralux mattress from Talon Furniture. Wait, Theralux? What happened? All Talon Furniture ever talks about is therapeutic mattresses. Well, 
Theralux is Simply Therapeutics high-end mattress. What makes it high-end? It's a cooling mattress. If you're not sure what cooling mattresses are, we'll show you. A Theralux mattress has a 20-year warranty and a really high coil count, which means if the person you're sleeping with is tossing and turning or gets up at 3 a.m., you won't even know. And that's the way a good night's sleep ought to go, right? Therapeutic, and now Theralux. Come to Talon Furniture, just down the hill from Amherst College. Just don't come at 3 a.m. We'll be sound asleep. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Senator Joe Comerford, who is on her way to Boston today, leading me to ask this question. Senator, will there be a supplemental budget? Will that happen? It's necessary. It's important. It should happen. It hasn't happened. Will it? Yes, it will happen, Bill. But nothing in that yes should lead uh, your listeners to believe that I am unaware of uh, the delay in it happening and also the hardship around the delay. It absolutely will happen. In fact, I think it's going to happen early this week. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's true is that we like to respond to every constituent who has written in, either personally or uh, through a group email, if there's a bunch of uh, form emails coming in. And uh, I'll just tell you that two Fridays ago, I was on the road uh, to do a higher education tour, and five staff members in my office spent the entirety of their days, this is not hyperbole, calling, writing, messaging constituents back who had let us know that they were very upset about the supplemental budget. So the advocacy around this has been both pointed and immediate and necessary, Uh, And we are doing our best to talk to constituents about our work to be part of uh, the supplemental passing. And I have advocated um, with leadership. Right. There are a lot of people in your district who are depending on these bills to pass so that the contracts that were negotiated long ago can finally be funded and people can have the raises that they deserve. I mean, a lot of these people live paycheck to paycheck and and the legislature. Yeah. And the legislature not funding it really makes a difference. In their lives, it's detrimental to them. It's also unfair. Many do. I have 6,000 higher education unionized workers uh, I represent, I work for. And that's on top of the human service workers and others whose cost of living. I don't call these raises, Bill. Right, I they're call not. Them cost of living adjustments. Um, you know, these are modest cost of living adjustments to which folks are entitled and they bargained, right? The legislature does set the bargaining parameters the governor does. She set the parameters. They bargained uh, in good faith. And the legislature's job is to review that and to um, pass it and uh, fund it. Right? That's our job. Senator Comerford, in terms of bills that I think should pass, and I'd like to get your perspective, there 
is a long article from the State House News Service in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. I'd just like to read a couple of sentences from it in order to tee up the question I have for you. It begins this way. It's from the State House News Service. Most lawmakers seem to agree that something needs to be done about so-called ghost guns that have infiltrated Massachusetts streets, but a fierce debate continues about the extent of additional gun regulations. Massachusetts has the lowest rate of firearm fatalities in the contiguous United States, but, and then it goes on with the but, and further says the weapons, the ghost guns, are often made or assembled at home and lack serial numbers, which can be traced. They can be assembled from prepackaged kits or 3D print printers. Okay. The House of Representatives has passed a bill after a very contentious debate, but here we are and the Senate hasn't. Will the Senate pass gun reform legislation early in the new year? Sure. Sure? <laughs> Just sure? Just that easy? Sure? <laughs> I, want, um, I want to make sure that listeners know about the supplemental budget, that the Senate president and the chair of Ways and Means understand uh, that our district is disproportionately affected. Uh, I, I think that's really, really important. I didn't say that. They are working super hard to make a deal happen um, with the House, and they do understand, especially with public higher education workers, that we are awash in them in different ways than the rest of the Commonwealth. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the Senate president has been public numbers of times now saying that Senator Cindy Cream, who is majority leader, for the Senate is working on a gun bill. I have met with Senator Cream several times after talking with constituents here in the Commonwealth, here in our district, um, and that's everyone from, you know, folks in the northern part of our region who are hunters. Who are working, you know, uh, against um, gun violence to end gun violence and really believe um, in uh, significant curtailment of guns. Uh, so uh, I have been listening deeply and then conveying um, their thoughts to Senator Cream, uh, also to the district attorney, District Attorney Dave Sullivan, uh, weighed in from his perspective. Uh, he weighed in directly with all the other DAs, but uh, he weighed in directly with me as well and my team. So I've been doing uh, significant outreach. And if you have thoughts about the gun bill, you should bring them to me uh, because my team and I are reading everyone. We're calling some folks back when we don't understand it. Um, so, so, so I just want everybody to know that. So the Senate president has said there will be a gun bill in the Senate. Um, the Senate, like the House, does our own bills. Um, and hopefully we'll find a, a compromise with the House. Um, the House's process, as you know, and I really appreciate the House members for navigating this, you know, was um, extended, uh, and they also did their own listening um, and their own due diligence. And so that's, you know, that's our job is to do that. Um, but I do believe there will be a gun bill. Um, I do believe that like police reform, which I voted for and I was part of, you may remember, I was in that conference committee work uh, I was, you know, part of the group that put together um, that bill that was now some time ago. Um, it's really important to get it right to be, and to understand that there are 351 cities and towns uh, in the Commonwealth and 351 ways of relating to guns. Um, and so my job is to think also 
statewide while I also think about the 25 cities and towns I represent. Senator Comerford, your staff's going to get really angry with me if I don't let you go to your next meeting, which I know you have to run to. We really appreciate your time and your insights and your representation and leadership. Thank you so very much. Have a safe trip to Boston. Be, be <laughs> successful there today. Oh, let's hope, my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks, Buzz and Bill. We appreciate you. Good to be with you. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A new rental permitting bylaw in Amherst is coming under fire from landlords. The Amherst Landlords Association, which represents about 500 members, says that imposing a revised inspection system will increase rents and will infringe on renters' rights. If the new bylaw is adopted, it would go into effect next spring and would replace a self-certification process. The town council will vote on the proposed bylaw at their meeting tonight. The 20th annual Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage raised around $780,000 yesterday, which will go toward helping survivors of domestic violence. Around 6,000 runners and walkers participated in this year's event despite the cold rain. Safe Passage Executive Director Marianne Winters. The forces that are kind of against us, societal oppression, poverty, you know, patriarchy, are embedded in our society in a way that it takes minute incremental change day to day in order to get where we need to be. The annual event provides around one-third of the operating budget for the year. Massachusetts has become the second U.S. state to report a large uptick in the number of child pneumonia cases. Doctors in the Bay State noticed the rise in cases as Ohio reported enough cases to meet that state's definition of an outbreak. But physicians in Western Mass believe it is mostly RSV, a respiratory virus that kills more than 10,000 Americans each year, mostly young children and the elderly. However, officials do not think it's a new respiratory disease, but, quote, rather a large uptick in the number of pneumonia cases normally seen at one time. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. Tracking drier weather for the start of the work week for today. Mostly cloudy and mild, highs 46 to 50. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 30. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Soup. It's the thing, perhaps the only thing you want to eat. You know, those times when you want something to eat and that something has to be a bowl of hot soup. They make three soups every day at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. One is usually a bean soup, maybe lentil, red bean, or split pea. One is always Paul and Elizabeth's signature fish chowder. So rich and creamy, it's kind of hard to believe it's dairy-free. Go to Paul and Elizabeth's inside Thorns in Northampton. Have a nice bowl of soup. Maybe you still have your copy of a favorite long-ago book, like I do, about Mickey Mantle, signed by my Uncle Bill, Hanukkah, 1958. A book can make a lasting impression. Something Someday is the new picture book by the presidential inaugural poet Amanda Gorman. Get it at Broadside Bookshop. For middle grade and elementary readers, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Chalice of the Gods. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store, then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop. Of all the boys. They're hot. Of all the boys, boys. So hot. They're the Hot Sardines, one of New York City's hottest jazz bands, and they are coming to town. About Memphis to shame, please let me explain. About Memphis to shame means that you're grand. The Hot Sardines Holiday Stomp, Thursday, December 7th at UMass. 
Swing into the season with the romping, rollicking sounds of the hot sardines. Oh, by gosh, by jingle, it's time for carols and Kris Kringle. The hot sardines' lighthearted and lively mix of hot jazz, swing, and stride is irresistible. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. The Hot Sardines Holiday Stomp, a very merry night at UMass, Thursday, December 7th in Bowker Auditorium. If it is Monday, and it is, it's Mayor's Monday here on WHMP and Talk the Talk, and we are joined by the mayor of Northampton, Jean-Louis Scherer. Congratulations, Mayor, on the hot chocolate run, which your city hosted yesterday. A f- reflection or two from you about that event, please. Sure. Good morning. It's so good to be with all of you. Um, and it's always nice. I was with you yesterday, Bill. It's nice to be with you two days in a row. Um, I feel like People my, will talk. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my voice is a little hoarse because I was just whooping and hooping and hollering and uh, wooing up a storm at the Hot Chocolate Run, one of my favorite events of the year, one of the most beautiful events um, in Northampton that happens annually. And um, despite the rain, it was really remarkable. And maybe not despite, in, in the rain, I think, added to that sense of like, we are so in this together as a community that we're going to come out in cold nasty rain in December and support safe passage. I kept saying it's not rain. It's a light drizzle and it's not that cold compared to other years. And no matter what my meteorological chops are, they did not carry the day, but the the people (laughs) carried the day. That was for sure. Yes. It was pretty remarkable. There was a moment um, early on where there just weren't that many folks there. And I was a little bit nervous. And then all of a sudden thousands Yeah, people just came out of nowhere and, you know, got in the chute and walked or ran, and it was just beautiful. And the fun run and the costumes were as good as ever. I I love the candy canes, and I thought (laughs) Mrs. Claus, a few Mrs. Clauses (laughs) were particularly good. Uh, Speaking of events in Northampton, there's another one that comes up the end of this month, which is First Night. Want to tell us about the plans for that and share? Absolutely. It's funny. You told me, uh, you said yesterday that I was really great at leading you into segues. I um, thank you for leading me into a segue of something I very much want to talk about, which is first night. So yes, Sunday, December 31st, um, the Northampton Arts Council um, with their main sponsor welcomes everyone to come down for the 39th annual citywide New New Year's Eve party, which we call first night. There are 23 venues this year. There are hundreds of performers. Um, The day kicks off at the Academy at noon. And uh, with two performances by Show Circus, if you've never been to that show, it's amazing. You should go. Um, but also that always sells out. So get there early. Um, then, you know, there, there, so there's a map. You should go to firstnightnorthampton.org. That it'll have all the info. It has the venue map. It has the schedule. It tells you where you can purchase buttons for the event. You can buy them day of. But if you buy them before, um, if you buy them by December 30th, there's a discount. And um, it will go through the whole schedule. So um, there's, as I said, all of these venues, all these performances leading up to the fireworks at 6.15, um, which signaled the start of the evening entertainment and, and more um, performances at venues. And then, of course, we have the ball raising at the Hotel Northampton um, at midnight. And uh, Steve Sanderson of WRSI um, will be spinning tunes for everybody to celebrate at the start of the new year. I must say... I probably should confess. I still have last year's button. You buy it's not going to work, Bill. 
I know, but <laughs> what it says is, and I just somehow it just stays on this coat that I have, and it says adult. And people have been asking me, <laughs> why? Why is that? And I say, it's aspirational. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, everyone, buy your new buttons of this year where you can declare whether you're an adult or a child um, for the world to see. And um, so we're actually still really looking for volunteers. If no one's vol- if you haven't volunteered at First Night before, it's a really fun thing to do. Um, I've been doing it for a couple of years. It's, it's just a really joyous experience to welcome people into a venue and help out. And you get a complimentary button. So it's a great way to do a shift and then go on and for the rest of the evening and, and see all the performances you want. Yeah. Welcoming people to the venue, which is really an easy job. You just have to see, look at the button and say, hi, happy new year. And it's a great job because everybody is happy to see you. Exactly. I mean, where, how many jobs are there in the world where people just are happy that you're there? I mean, it's, it's really quite remarkable. And one of the most fun things I've ever done on first night is I got to introduce the Young at Heart Chorus a couple of times before their performances. Such a thrill. Yeah, and tell them what it was like to have... Bob Silman is my roommate. <laughs> Ooh, I want to hear these stories, too. Were they wearing adult buttons? <laughs> we, that was really aspirational for the adult <laughs> buttons. So uh, I, I do want to speak to you, uh, Mayor, about a number of issues that are really, really important in Northampton, including Northampton redesign and plans that the city has uh, with regard to the redesign but first, I would appreciate it if we could spend a few minutes talking about the passing of some really significant women, national figures, Rosalind Carter and Sandra Day O'Connor. And you as a, a political figure and a community leader and as a, a woman in those roles, I'm wondering if you have some thoughts you would care to share about those two individuals. Absolutely. Um, so not just a, a, a woman political figure, but, you know, I am a child of the uh, I was born in 1974. Um, and so I was I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. Um, so these two women uh, were a huge part of my my young life. Um, and, you know, so I was seven when Sandra Day O'Connor was confirmed. And you know, I, I as the first woman as the woman first, justice of the United States Supreme Court. Yes, and um, I'm just so grateful. So, I mean, I believe it or not, I was not like the most precocious kindergartner. I wasn't really interested in the Supreme Court when I was in kindergarten. So, <laughs> when I when I first sort of started thinking about these things, there already was representation there, and I'm just so grateful that I was in sort of my consciousness. There was never a time when. Um, there wasn't a woman on the Supreme Court. Now, I, I wouldn't say that I, I view her viewed her as a role model in terms of her judicial philosophy, but um, you know that's kind of the thing about representation when it when you sort of first break a ceiling, right? And there's just a, a small amount of representation. Um, you don't necessarily get to see exactly who you are reflected in in the person who has broken that barrier. Um, but then it opens doors for for. Um, for other people. So, you know, white men get to see their, you know, their views represented on all sides um, uh, for- On rare occasions. (laughs) Uh Um, So it's, this is, she is a remarkable um, figure who I think had a a profound impact on, on many women and how they view what's possible for them. Really interesting for me to hear your your recitation of your worldview because from- 
mine, which began a few years before yours, <laughs> um, it was remarkable and a little bit maddening that a moderate to quite conservative, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, a jurist, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, was the first woman on the Supreme Court where Democrats had been uh, had been uh, asking for this, fighting for this for years, and then the Republicans somehow get credit for doing it and put a conservative on the court. But she mm-hmm. did not vote to overrule Roe versus Wade. Yes. Um, and she was, by today's standards, a moderate, for, to be sure. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like my, the how I can relate to what you just said is... Um, maybe Sarah Palin, like the thought that Sarah Palin was going to break that barrier was did not feel like it was going to be what I needed in terms of representation in the White House. Right. But it was interesting and is interesting to me that uh, when there's talk about Nikki Haley and the Republican nomination and there are great, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, trepidations by some that uh, she would not be the Republican nominee for a lot of reasons, but one of which is is that she's a person of color. Mm. But I don't hear very often that she's a woman, and that's the obstacle. Mm. And I think that is a sea change, and I think that's interesting. The, also, the other I, thing, Bill, in your question about Rosalind Carter, she I found it very interesting. She's the first lady who didn't become that known for her politics. Mm-hmm. Um, she sort of stayed away from that forum and... Instead, she was known as a really good human being, mm-hmm. a caring, loving human being. And I don't want to ascribe that to a first lady, mm-hmm. you know, because that's kind of a, a gender-based analysis. But I, I just think it was really nice to have uh, a woman who was just known to be a good person mm-hmm. in prominent position in our country. Yeah, it's I, I, I'm not sure we'll ever see the likes of the Carters again, um, but... It's nice to think that maybe we could. Well, Rosalind Carter, Rosalind Carter was a leader in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. She was a leader for mental health services and advocate for those who were marginalized. She was, in fact, a spokesperson uh, for important progressive causes, mm-hmm. with and really very much a partner with Jimmy Jimmy Carter, President Carter. And what you said, Buzz, reminds me of reminds me and reminds me particularly in conjunction with what Mayor Gina Louise Shera just said about the Carters, which is they're really decent people. They really have represent a part of America that the Donald Trumps of the world and his ilk are killing and maybe have mm-hmm. killed. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, also just their spirit of service that that lasted decades after they you know were no longer in Washington is is remarkable um, that 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 so just your view of why you're here on this earth and what you're meant to to give and what how you're meant to interact with the world is um, is very different than than an example of what we're seeing today in, in the Atlanta journal Constitution uh, a Plains uh, Georgia uh, citizen after her death said, you know, people think of them as really famous and him being Mm -hmm. the president, but for us, they're just great neighbors. I thought... And they really retained that. I mean, they they went to the same church they did. They did amazing things globally while also living their local neighborly lives, which is a remarkable example. 
and they devoted themselves to the Carter Center, which has been a force for peace and democracy across the world, mm-hmm. certainly paddling upstream these days. Oh, my goodness. But the Carter Center has been a remarkable, uh, has made remarkable contributions to democracy around the world. I did think, and I still remember, when Jimmy Carter was asked whether the Carter Center would monitor the United States elections, and this was during the Bush-Gore fight, and he said, we can't because we have criteria that state that we can only monitor elections when we think they are full Mm -hmm. and fair, (laughs) and the United States doesn't qualify. And he'd said it without rancor, without political perspective. He just said, we can't do it. It really doesn't meet our criteria. I thought that was remarkable. That just took my breath away. I didn't know that. So anyway, I, I, uh, I, I feel like there are, these are milestones and I, uh, and I really feel, uh, very, very sad about, uh, Rosalind Carter's passing. Um, she was suffering from, uh, uh, dementia towards the end of her life. Uh, but this couple had been together for, uh, what is it? 70, 70 years. years? Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable. I mean, Absolutely it, it's, remarkable. um, without ever c- calling attention to the most, I, I think clear and obvious part of their relationship, which is talk about role models for what we would all wish mm-hmm. the Carters. Yes. Agreed. GL for president, Bill. What? <laughs> <laughs> we are indeed speaking with the mayor of Northampton, Julian Louise Scherer. When we come back, I want to ask the mayor about the downtown Northampton redesign. I have questions about what the city will be doing to help businesses during construction, as well as other issues about redesign. And, well, let's talk about the reopening of the Calvin and the Iron Horse. We'll do all that right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The holidays, baking, wrapping, decorating, and of course, shopping for that special gift. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. This holiday season, consider giving a private one-on-one personal training session with a Fitness Together gift card. Stop by our locations, Amherst or Northampton, to pick one up in person. Or give us a call and we'll drop one in the mail. Give a gift that keeps the ones you love fit and healthy. Happy holidays from all of us at Fitness Together. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone, two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. 
You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton Mayor Jean Louis Shera. I want to turn our attention, if I might, to the Northampton redesign. You, we were speaking about this uh, while we were off air, and you were mentioned. You had mentioned the uh, vote at the city council, mayor. So perhaps for those of our listeners who didn't catch what the city council did, you could bring us up to date. Sure, gladly. So the city council passed a resolution at their last meeting um, in in support of the main street redesign, um, but also and the I, vote was it was unanimous. Um, and what I thought was actually really inspiring for me, and they did very beautifully, was they went through kind of the history as they saw it of what has led us to this redesign. So all of the work that's been done over the last two decades by multiple mayors and dozens of city councilors and also tons of residents. So residents on all of our, you know, we have committees and commissions which have volunteer participation by residents um, have worked on these various different, these various plans that have been building blocks that have led to a project like the Main Street redesign. So plans where we talk about how we create safe streets, where we talk about um, what our plans are for resiliency um, and has led to these kind of projects. And, and we have policies around what we incorporate into uh, road redesign projects because of all of that work that's been done for about two decades. I, I was struck. We had a author, an attorney, a land use attorney, a development side attorney actually on the show has written a history of Boston, a mm. very large book. Uh, and I said, I would like to talk about development. That's your expertise. And volunteers, uh, I said, it's important to us because of what's happening here in Northampton. And he's just, volunteer said, one thing that we know is that when you reduce traffic from two lanes to one lane, it actually increases the, tr the flow of traffic and does not slow things down. It actually, if anything, uh, makes traffic move way, way better in addition to all the other reasons to have one lane and the safety considerations. I said, that was quite amazing. Everyone seems to know this and seems to be controversial among some people here. That was interesting to learn. Yeah. Let me ask you about two aspects of this, because we have had a, a business people, uh, store owners on Main Street on the show talking about this. And I would like to know what the city plans to do to make sure that those stores that are going to be so much, I think, so enhance their business by the new design. But they have to get from here to there. They have to be alive and well and functioning and reasonably prosperous on the other side. And digging up Main Street is not going to help uh, foot traffic, pedestrian traffic. So what are the city's plans in order to make sure that as many of those stores as possible are, in fact, here to reap the fruits and the benefits of the new plan? 
So since I was last here last month, um, we had announced uh, we announced that the city is working with both the Downtown Northampton Association and the Chamber of Commerce on a campaign to focus on strategies around that that period of time when we're in construction and actually leading up to that time. So strategies to ensure that downtown Northampton remains vibrant and accessible um, and prosperous during that whole construction period. So I think the the first thing that I want to make sure that people understand is that this this project is going to be done in phases. So it's not going to be like all of Main Street's going to be dug up for months on end. It will be done in sections. We don't know the sections yet. That's uh, We will know that a little bit as we move farther to the next stage um, with um, Mass Department of Transportation. Um, we'll know a little bit more about how the the... the phasing is going to be scheduled but we do know that it will be in phases we also know that we can build into our contract um certain things that we want in terms of mitigation so we downtown's going to remain open and there there will be sections that will be more affected at certain times and my goal is that is to pour our love and our um, resources and our money and our support towards those sections um, while they are being most affected. So that's the campaign that we're working on. We're, um, we have folks that are talking to other communities that have gone through similar projects and talking about what they did in terms of mitigation and what worked, what didn't work, trying to find the best strategies that have been employed so that we can bring them here. And we're also looking at really creative ideas. You know, I um, like the hot chocolate run. I love beautiful, fun events that bring the community together and the community comes together when when we need to. So I'm looking forward to that part of it. Mayor Shara, I have a sort of long look question, which is um, 50 years from now when they, when uh, your successor uh, the mayor opens that time capsule. Mm -hmm. What can they learn from this process about how to engage in, you know, a, a one that really changes the face and the culture of Northampton? What can they learn from you and your experience? Um, that's such a good question, Buzz. I think that hopefully they can learn that um, we, you have to have an eye towards the future, right? So one of the things that's most important to me is is supporting our downtown in the present, which is very different than it was when Main Street was designed um, with the di design we have now, right? So we need to adapt to where we are in our moment of time. But for me, I, um, I always say, you know, I'm here but for a moment. But some of these decisions that we're making will last for generations. And that is something that is a, a responsibility that is incredibly important to me. So um, I hope what they'll see is that we really tried to, to look to the future and set them up so and tried to create um, a space that was um, that that was in recognition of the climate crisis and that we need to do better um, that tried to build an infrastructure um, around stormwater that created a much uh, healthier leafier uh, tree canopy around that um, that also was really focused on um, people of all abilities that you know we created a design, that um, made everyone feel welcome and gave everyone as much access as possible to our downtown. Um, and that tried to create safety for all <laughs> kinds of um, all modes of mobility. Mayor, there has been significant debate, at least on the uh, opinion pages of the Gazette, and of course there's presentations uh, for alternative designs and a lot of discussion and criticism as well. Uh, is this story now that this process and this design 
is in fact going forward? The decision's been made? So, you know, we had the 25% um, uh, hearing or meeting in April with Department of Transportation. So they they stage these things in percents, but um, it's the percent is a little bit, unless you kind of know what it means, but 25% is really sort of setting the design. So all of those plans have been have been approved by MassDOT at this point, and the main design has... Department of Transportation. Yes, um, has been approved. So now we are moving into the 75 and 100% design phase, um, which is more of the, the smaller detailed design, and then, then we will be able to tell more what the phasing will be of this project. So the main design has been accepted by the Department of Transportation um, and is moving forward. I should confess, I remember being a kid, I was really young, being totally confused, riding in the car with my parents saying, what is a U.S. dot? <laughs> I, I don't understand. <laughs> I, Mayor, I, I'd like to ask you about downtown and another aspect of it, which is the reopening of the Calvin, the reopening of the Iron Horse. Can you give us an update on where those two projects stand and what you think the effect will be on downtown? So they are still moving forward. They're trying to get all of their sort of transfer paperwork done. Um, and, and the Iron Horse is running a big capital campaign. So if you have loved the Iron Horse in the past, if you look forward to a future with the Iron Horse, um, I encourage you to to what there's a beautiful video they, they created um, and they are looking for some additional funding. So the city provided them um, some ARPA funding um, to get them started. And one of the things that was really important to me was that we create an accessible space. So um, they are uh, building into the ne next door to where the Iron Horse is and there will be um, accessible bathrooms there. So the, if you'd experienced the bathrooms in the Iron Horse before and going down those stairs, this will be a very different situation. And people um, with all, uh, all mobility will be able to come into the Iron Horse and experience music there and be able to use facilities there. Um, and, but they are trying to do all the phasing and get all the work done that they need to. So um, I encourage people to support them. And you can do that because the Iron Horse is now part of the parlor room, which is a not-for-profit 501c3 tax-exempt organization that yes. can accept your donations. And if you itemize, you can claim the deduction on your tax return. And if you just want to be a supportive person, you can do that as well. And it goes to a nonprofit, which I think is a much better form. I, I, I do find it really exciting that the Iron Horse is going to have new menu, yes. good food, and physically, I mean a new menu because those menus, the paper <laughs> menus that were there, <laughs> sort of just stayed. When we say the menu didn't change, we mean the menu didn't change. It was the same piece of paper that was there for 20 years. But um, what doesn't change is I have so many fond memories of going to a concert at the, at the Iron Horse. It's, it's a great venue that really, you know, it felt special. And it, it and it is special. And it is a destination of, of musicians going from... Of all different genres of music. Mm -hmm. Yes, and many going from Boston to New York and New York to Boston. And here's the way station in the weekdays in between. So we get amazing events that will happen again. What about, what about the Calvin? So the Calvin is... I know that they're trying to get some of their paperwork done to, uh, to sort of do the transfer that they need to. So they're, they're still moving forward, but... It's, you know, taking some time. So we don't have a date yet on a... I don't have a date, unfortunately. Okay. So are you getting your uh, big scissors ready for the opening? Oh, the biggest of scissors. <laughs> I'll get extra large scissors. I need even bigger ones. Any thoughts on when the uh, Iron Horse might open, or is this still just 
dependent on how soon and how quickly the funding comes in. I think that's true. I think they have a goal, and I'm not entirely sure what it is. It might say on their website, um, but I think they're you know they're trying to pull together the funding. Really, I encourage people to watch the video. I had the unbelievable privilege of being there when they created that video and hearing that first song back on that stage, and it was one of the most. Um, amazing experiences. I still, I just have chills thinking about it. And the Iron Horse also presents many local groups. It's not just oh, a yeah. matter of the internationally and nationally acclaimed musicians who come. I mean, this is a community venue as well. I mean, that's one of the beauties of that venue, right? Is it, you know, I, for a while I worked across the street at First Churches and um, it was just fun to watch people line up almost every day, whether it was a local group or um, a bigger name. It, it's um, it's a place that was open almost all the time and had all different uh, performers. And in 20 seconds, in terms of ribbon cuttings, the Resilience Center, where's that at? So we're working with the architect right now to um, figure out uh, how we're going to continue to build out that space. And so when I have a date on that, I will be sure to let you know. In the next, we're talking about months, years, weeks? Um, months, maybe into in the next year. Okay. Gina Louise Shera, Mayor of Northampton, thank you so much for being with us on this Mayor's Monday. Thank you. Want to make a difference in a big way? Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called Bigs. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County do better in school report higher self-confidence, and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call 413-259-3345 and volunteer or donate to Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Grab a hammer, lend a hand, build a better world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. pvhabitat.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. News on the hour. Presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Demands for justice in the nation's opioid crisis. Backwards lie. People die. Protesters outside the Supreme Court this hour, where justices begin hearing arguments in a challenge to a multi-billion dollar bankruptcy settlement with Purdue Pharma, the maker of OxyContin. The question whether the wealthy Sackler family, which owns the company, can evade lawsuits linked to thousands of deaths. Ellen Isaac's son was among them. Give me the ability to get a jury by trial of my peers and other people to do likewise the same. You know, closing that door, it's not going to help anybody with healing. They're always going to feel like there was never any accountability. A jury in New York City begins hearing evidence in the criminal trial of a Marvel movie star. Oh, I've been dubbed many 
names by many people. Jonathan Majors is accused of assaulting his ex-girlfriend during a taxi ride in Manhattan. She is expected to testify. He got angry when she snatched his cell phone and allegedly found a suggestive text from another woman in the Middle East. Israeli tanks are on the move after an IDF commander says his ground forces are close to achieving their mission in northern Gaza. CBS's Robert Berger reports from Jerusalem. The U.S. is urging Israel to avoid civilian casualties, so the army is ordering Palestinians to evacuate areas of southern Gaza and head to so-called safe zones. But Palestinians say some of these zones have been bombed, so no place in Gaza is really safe. A temporary truce fell apart Friday. Military divers have made a tragic find off the Japanese island of Yakushima, where a U.S. Osprey aircraft went down last week. Reporter Lucy Kraft is in Tokyo. Seven crew members from the downed Osprey remain missing, but the Air Force said five bodies have been discovered in the seas off southwestern Japan. The dead have not been identified yet. Japanese reports say the remains were spotted along with the wreckage of the cockpit section. The Pacific Northwest is soaked from an atmospheric river, CBS meteorologist David Parkinson. There is a flood concern for the next several days, not only from the runoffs and the rivers rising, but also just the ground becoming saturated with all of this rain. Lots of people are mailing holiday cards and packages. That means lots of overtime for postal workers like Antoinette Brown in L.A. Mail everywhere. So that's mail we have to process um, on a day-to-day basis. So we're here. 9, 10, 11 hours, maybe 12. The Dow is down 100 points. This is CBS News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com slash credits. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. For right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. A deep-pocketed baseball fan is... For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A new rental permitting bylaw in Amherst is coming under fire from landlords. The Amherst Landlords Association, which represents about 500 members, says that imposing a revised inspection system will increase rents and will infringe on renters' rights. If the new bylaw is adopted, it would go into effect next spring and would replace a self-certification process. The town council will vote on the proposed bylaw at their meeting tonight. The 20th annual Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage raised around $780,000 yesterday, which will go toward helping survivors of domestic violence. Around 6,000 runners and walkers participated in this year's event despite the cold rain. Safe Passage Executive Director Marianne Winters. 
the forces that are kind of against us, societal oppression, poverty, you know, patriarchy, are embedded in our society in a way that it takes minute incremental change day to day in order to get where we need to be. The annual event provides around one-third of the operating budget for the year. Massachusetts has become the second U.S. state to report a large uptick in the number of child pneumonia cases. Doctors in the Bay State noticed the rise in cases as Ohio reported enough cases to meet that state's definition of an outbreak. But physicians in Western Mass believe it is mostly RSV, a respiratory virus that kills more than 10,000 Americans each year, mostly young children and the elderly. However, officials do not think it's a new respiratory disease, but, quote, rather a large uptick in the number of pneumonia cases normally seen at one time. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. Tracking drier weather for the start of the work week for today. Mostly cloudy and mild, highs 46 to 50. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 30. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And uh, it is the first Monday in December, which means we all get treated to our first Monday segment with Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller of Western New England University Law School, constitutional scholar and someone who keeps his thumb on the pulse of what's happening in our jurisprudence in this country. Bruce, President Trump, is he going to enjoy presidential immunity from everything that grew out of January 6th? Well, Buzz, uh, there is at least a somewhat greater chance today that he will not than there was just a few days ago because we had two remarkable decisions from federal courts in the District of Columbia both uh, on Friday. Uh, sometimes these things come out late in the day on, on Friday, and, and this, these were two that did. Uh, the, the first one, and the one of probably the most immediate importance, is that Judge Chutkin, who is the federal district judge in charge of Jack Smith's prosecution of Trump for the events of January 6th. Jack Smith being special counsel special for the Department counsel, of Justice. Denied former President Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment against him. President, former President Trump's argument was that he cannot be indicted for any acts that he did while he was President of the United States, that he is completely immune from legal process for those acts. Judge Chutkin gave two reasons for rejecting this argument. First, whatever its strength might be for a sitting president, it is completely inapplicable to a former president whom, who she says enjoys no uh, immunity at all. Secondly, and more importantly, uh, she held that a, acts committed by a president whenever they're charged, and Trump was, of course, charged after for acts he committed while he was president, that acts that a, Trump, that a president commits can be, if they are crimes, uh, they can be prosecuted as crimes. That the immunity that a president enjoys in civil cases, which is a very substantial immunity, probably an absolute immunity, is inapplicable to criminal prosecutions. 
And this is, this is extremely significant because it means that for uh, Chutkin, the case moves forward. Now, here's the rub. Uh, immunity rejections by federal district judges are immediately appealable. And that means that former President Trump has the right to appeal this decision right now to the D.C. Circuit. And presumably the D.C. Circuit will mm -hmm. consider such an appeal on an expedited basis, but that is up to the D.C. Circuit. And of course, after the D.C. Circuit rules, then uh, former President Trump has a further uh, right to seek review from the Supreme Court. So better chance of no immunity, um, but still, uh, we're still sort of at the end of the beginning on this one with a long way to go. Very significant because of the practical consequence, which is the trial won't happen when it's scheduled to start. I, Bill, I'm not, I'm not sure of that yet. I don't think we can, we can be sure that uh, the dates are going to have to be punted down the road. Uh, but the chances are greater um, uh, than, than, uh, than we might have hoped uh, that, that, that the trial can go on as scheduled. Bruce Miller, with a case of this magnitude involving a question of this magnitude, yep. which is what uh, can a president of the United States be held liable for criminal acts criminal while, acts. Yep. while yep. in office uh, or criminal and civil acts when yep. out of office, shouldn't there be some sort of expedition that is Shouldn't those cases be expedited so that it doesn't interfere with the trial? Well, of well, this will be. This will be. Um, that that is uh, the reason for having an immediate appeal of a denial of immunity, is that immunity is supposed to prevent the person who allegedly enjoys it from being tried at all. That's why Trump gets to get review of this right away. It is potentially resolvable, uh, consistent with keeping uh, the March trial date. But we just don't know. We don't know for sure what the D.C. Circuit will do timing-wise or then what the Supreme Court will do. But there's reasons, I think, to be hopeful that they will seek to dispose of it expeditiously. I don't understand why it's an issue. Wasn't this long ago settled with Watergate? Well, President, such President a, Nixon. such a good question. Um, uh, you know, I kind of think it was because in the, in the Nixon-Watergate case, the Supreme Court held that a, a president was not immune from the obligation to give evidence in a criminal case, and that therefore the famous Nixon tapes uh, would be required to be turned over to the special counsel then. Uh, but giving evidence is not the same as being prosecuted. And we know that the Justice Department has long had a policy of not prosecuting a sitting president for crimes um, on the theory that it would be too disruptive to the operation of the office. Now, Judge Chutkin uh, uh, addressed that question by saying, well, even if that's true, that doesn't apply to former presidents. The problem is that we also have a civil case involving Nixon that you guys might remember. It's called Nixon against Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald was a Defense Department cost overrun whistleblower uh, he's the guy responsible for us knowing about what the million-dollar toilet seats uh, for revealing that kind of information to the public. Nixon fired him in a heartbeat, and Fitzgerald sued him for damages. And the Supreme Court held that uh, a sitting president is completely immune 
uh, from damage suits for actions taken in, in up to the outer limits of his official capacity. So the president does enjoy an immunity from civil cases. What's newsworthy about what Judge Chutkin did is she said that immunity doesn't apply at all in criminal cases. So and Trump like, can't be sued. I'm sorry. So Trump can't be sued civilly for what he did as uh, president. No, no, no. That gets us to the second case. Oh. Uh, Bill, you're, you're, doing, you're doing the transitions beautifully today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Completely inadvertent, but uh, thank you. I, I got Before you. we go there, yeah. just one other question sure. about what Trump is contending in his, uh, in his motion to dismiss because yeah. of immunity. He says that there are three separate but equal branches and that the judicial branch is impeding the executive branch from doing that which it has a right to do under our Constitution. What say you to that? Yeah. Well, Trump's, Trump's argument is that even though he's being prosecuted now as ex-president, it's for things he did while president. And for that reason, any judicial oversight of whatever he did interferes with the presidency. And that is the novel question presented. We know that's not completely true because of the Watergate case. The president was required to give evidence. Can a, a former president also be required to defend himself against criminal charges? Now, one thing that Judge Shutkin did not address that I wish she had addressed, she held no immunity at all from criminal prosecution for former presidents. So she didn't look at this question of whether Trump was acting within or outside of his presidential powers when he took the actions he did to try to uh, overthrow the, the election. Um, she didn't feel like she needed to address that question because she thought there was no immunity at all. I think there's a possibility that the DC Circuit might be very interested in sort of splitting it down the middle. That is the possibility that Trump may enjoy some immunity for his acts as president on the grounds that your question suggests, Buzz, but not complete immunity. After all, if Trump were to shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, presumably that would not be a presidential act. And the prosecution is based on the idea that nothing that he did uh, around, the, around January 6th was in his role as president, but rather in his role as candidate. And that's the question that is addressed by the second case, Bill, where you were going uh, a, a minute ago. Well, and I want to go where Bill was going a minute ago. What I'd like to do is take a break right now. We have three important matters to talk about on this first Monday of December with Professor uh, Emeritus Bruce Miller. We'll be right back, and we'll talk about a second case that's pending right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Rush Doctors, Short Appointments. Is anyone listening? I'm Dr. Kate Atkinson, and I'm excited to announce that Atkinson Family Practice is now offering concierge medicine in addition to our main practice. An annual fee gets you access to an experienced, board certified doctor who has fewer patients so they can devote more time to you. 
Atkinson Concierge Medicine. If your health concerns need more time, coordination, and advocacy, Concierge might be right for you. Visit atkinsonfamilypractice.com slash concierge. I'm Tony Warden, President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a safe and healthy new year. Hi, this is Stacy from the Residential Loan Department at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, this is Melissa, loan processor at the co-op. Hi, this is Brittany. I'm also a loan processor at GCB. We'd like to wish our friends, family, and customers a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hello, this is Aaron from South Hadley and Courtney from Northampton. We're wishing you a joyful holiday and a new year full of happiness and good health. Hi, this is Mandy. And this is Rachel from, from Greenfield Cooperative. Co-op. Bank, wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all the other holidays you may celebrate this season. Hello, I'm James Alexander, Vice President and Commercial Lender located in Shelburne Falls. I want to wish everyone a happy and safe holiday season from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, this is Chris Wilkie from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank, wishing you all a safe and happy holiday season. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with constitutional law expert, Western New England University School of Law, Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller here with us today, particularly lucky for us because of the decisions that came out Friday from federal courts regarding immunity for former President Donald Trump. I'd like to know, Professor, where does this immunity come from? I have a... copy of the Constitution in front of me. I can't find it anywhere. We can look long and hard in that document for any reference to presidential immunity. Uh, It is an argument uh, that the Supreme Court recognized as having some validity really for the first time in the Nixon era. Nixon made similar arguments to the ones that President Trump is making now. And the arguments were based really on the, on, on the functions of the presidency and the structure of the Constitution. The functional argument is that any... Ju- okay, let, let's back up one second. Yeah. If we go through the entire document, the entire you're Constitution... You're never going to see You're it. never going to see the word immunity. We're yep. not even going to see anything that says, well, anything like there should be some kind of yep. uh, protection, nope. special nope. protection. What, what so you, where does it come what, from? What they just got, made what you, it up? What, you, what, you, what you've got is... it. it no, they, 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 didn't, they didn't quite make it up. One specific basis for it is the president's presence of an alternative for presidential misconduct, and that's impeachment. And former President Trump argued that if the president does something untoward uh, that merits review somewhere, well, the Constitution provided for that. And it says that the president can be impeached and removed for high crimes and misdemeanors. It further then says that if he's convicted, he can thereafter be prosecuted. Trump argues that it, since it says he can be prosecuted after he's been convicted, that after must he's mean, been impeached, after he's been impeached and convicted, and convicted uh, in, the impeachment, in the impeachment, yeah, uh, that he can't be at any other time, and and so for that reason, the the absence of any authorization to prosecute, combined with the presence of the impeachment remedy, means that it's impeachment or nothing, and that Trump has already been acquitted in two impeachments. Now, I think that argument is weak, but it's not nothing. It is an argument for immunity. Now, Judge, Judge, Judge Chutkin rejected that as, as well, again relying on cases mainly United States against Nixon. 
back in the Nixon times, uh, impeachment was raised as the exclusive remedy as well, and the Supreme Court rejected it then. And this is where the civil immunity comes from as well? C- civil, civil immunity grows out of a, a, a sort of a different line of cases, also judicially invented. Uh, and, and these are cases that uh, confer official immunity on all government officials for most illegal acts that they might commit. Uh, even to sue, let's say you, let's say you want to sue a, a police officer which many people do, and for good reason. You have to demonstrate that the police officer not only was acting unlawfully, but that the police officer knew that he or she was acting unlawfully and that was the doing law has so been purposefully. Es- the law has been established. That, that, it, that's yes. a line of Supreme Court decision that does this. It's all in the name of giving the people we elect and those that they appoint a very wide berth to handle their official Functions and that Bruce Miller is is where my questions always yep. arise, which yep. is I certainly understand and accept the fact if if everyone who was aggrieved by an action of the executive mm. could sue, mm-hmm. it would everything would grind to a halt. It would be ridiculous. Um, yep. However, the Nixon case that you, I believe, it talked about the outer perimeters yes. of their duties. And yeah. where is that line drawn well, between this, something that ought to be suable? This and, gets us to the second case. And this case in the long run, but not the short run, in the long run is extremely important. This was a decision by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, the appellate court. Uh, So it it has a much greater scope and is much more likely to stand. And in this case, uh, the, the D.C. Circuit held that the immunity from civil liability that President Trump would enjoy for any acts committed within the outer perimeter of his power. This is from the Defense Department case, Nixon against Fitzgerald, did not apply to former President Trump because everything that he did around January the 6th, he was doing as a candidate for presidency, the presidency, not as the president. And guess what the best evidence of that was for the D.C. Circuit? All of the litigation that Trump filed then emphasized that he was doing this as a candidate for president. He has been sort of hoist on his own petard by the D.C. Circuit, which said, if you were arguing that you as a candidate had all of these rights, you don't now retroactively become the president uh, seeking to, as, as Trump now claims, Enforce various federal statutes. Candidates do not enjoy any immunity. Candidates do not enjoy any immunity. Um, And and Trump says because it's so very hard to draw the lines for a sitting president when the president is a candidate, when the president is president, that the court shouldn't try and ought to just have a rule that says uh, absolute immunity for the president. Now, it may be that Trump over argued here. Uh, or as lawyers did, and by making arguments that were so sweeping, uh, bought himself a, a fuller loss than he might have otherwise experienced. But still, all the D.C. Circuit did on this immunity question was send it back down to the federal district court in D.C. to do an event-by-event examination of all of Trump's actions for which he's uh, been sued. This was a civil suit 
by uh, various uh, D.C. police officers and some members of Congress who were injured by what Trump did during that period of time. And Trump can, with respect to each act, try to demonstrate that it was, quote, presidential rather than the act of, of, a, of a candidate. So we have a very long way to go on, on this one. Uh, the immunity issues are only themselves at the beginning, and we're going to go back to the, to the district court for further developments there. If we could shift our attention to the Eighth Circuit and the private rights to ensue, to sue in order to enforce Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, there's a really important percolation there. I should, I should say so. Um, you know, as, as these I immunity decisions that uh, point towards uh, accountability came down from the D.C. courts, the Eighth Circuit took a giant step uh, against uh, accountability for unlawful actions by government officials by holding that the remaining crucial part of the Voting Rights Act, the part that survives uh, the decision 10 years ago to strike down Section 5 of the, the Voting Rights Act. The evisceration of the Voting Rights That's Act. That's right, the evisceration of the Voting Rights Act, Shelby County case, that the remaining part, Section 2, cannot be enforced by private suits, that only the Justice Department is allowed to sue to enforce Section 2. If this stands, it would mean that the only way any kind of racial gerrymander can be challenged the only way that any kinds of restrictions on voting uh, can be challenged would be if the Attorney General of the United States decides to bring a suit to enforce them. Um, about 80% of the Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act cases that have ever been filed have been filed privately. Nearly all of the important victories have been in private suits, including the landmark decision involving Alabama's redistricting, which was found by Chief Justice, the Chief Justice Roberts, of all people, to be racially discriminatory. This Eighth Circuit decision would erase all of that, and it would render uh, Section 2 uh, in, in effect enforceable only by virtue of political decisions made by a sitting administration. So, Bruce Miller, I could be trying to enter my, my polling place yep. in order to vote. Yep. And the person at the door says, you are not allowed in. We don't yep. like your political viewpoints, Buzz well, Eisenberg. Actually, we don't like your color. We don't like your color. We don't like Jews, whatever it is. Yep. I would have no recourse. You go to, you go to the Justice Department and ask, ask them to take up your individual case. And so you say to President Trump's Justice Department, will you sue on my behalf? Well, that's, that's exactly. And that's all you can that's do. That's all you can do. And the number of Section 2 cases by, brought by the Trump Justice Department first time around, Goose egg, zero. Bruce Miller, what's the ostensible rationale that the Eighth Circuit brings to The this? ostensible rationale for this is that Congress did not place in the language of Section 2 words that give individuals a right to sue. Now, what Congress did do is in the committee reports that accompanied the enactment of the Voting Rights Act, the understanding that there was a right to sue is there over and over and over again. The Eighth Circuit says, following Justice Scalia, Legislative history never counts. You don't look at it. Secondly, there is a provision in Section 3 of the Voting Rights Act that allows aggrieved persons to sue. Um, well, for various technical reasons, uh, the Eighth Circuit said first uh, that that doesn't give actually a right to sue. 
And, and secondly, even if it did, it doesn't appear in section two, it appears in section three. And so for that reason, it can't be used, even though uh, the language a person aggrieved applies to all statutes. So uh, this is a remarkable decision. It is remarkable. And I have a question. Yeah. How is it that the court explains for the, for the last 50 years, just these two brilliant judges figured out something that thousands of other lawyers and constitutional experts just somehow hadn't seen? Yes. Are you, which two brilliant ones are you talking about? The two Eighth Circuit judges yes, or, yes, or, or, yes. or Gorsuch and Thomas? <laughs> uh, the argument is that Gorsuch and, and Thomas knew about this all the way along and everybody else got it wrong. And, and what, the fact that we've got, uh, well... Uh, but but look at it. look at the politics of this. You yeah. can destroy yeah. the voting power yeah. of people of color just with Com one little decision. Completely, well, yeah, completely. That's that's exactly what it does. And and sort of process wise, it's 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 remarkable as well. This argument was not even made initially um, in, in in defense by Arkansas. It, it they they didn't quite have the chutzpah to manage it. And the, and the district judge uh, thought it up um, on his own, a Trump appointee and said, why don't you guys file a brief urging me to dismiss this on the ground that there's no right to sue on the Voting Rights Act? All right, Bruce Miller. Yeah. If you were a voting man, yep. I mean, I, I'm sorry, a betting man. I, well, not, Which yeah. a voting, voting man, man you sure. are. Betting man but only it, during the NCAA tournament. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen with this ruling? Um, my guess is that the first thing that's going to happen with this one is that the plaintiffs are going to take it to the full Eighth Circuit. It's called this, an on review. For on bank review. Uh, at the initial stage in an appeal, a three-judge panel hears the appeal. Um, and we had a two-to-one decision, as, as Bill points out, and a very strong dissent. So there's, there's a very good chance that the full Eighth Circuit will agree to take this up. And uh, we can hope that they will reverse it, but we don't know. If, either way, my guess is that the losing side uh, takes it to the Supreme Court and, and we will see what the Supreme Court has to say about private rights to sue under Section 2. What we know about that right now is we've got, is we've got two votes for sure that there is no such private right. Gorsuch, who's already said so in a, in a concurring opinion a couple of years ago, and Thomas, probably Alito as well. I don't think we know about the other three uh, Republican judges. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I'm running out of fingers. We're going to take a break, and after that break, I'm, we're going to talk with Bruce Miller about a Security and Exchange Commission uh, case or arguments that are coming up, I think, this week um, about whether or not to end, uh, well, to end administrative agencies as we know them. We'll be right back with Bruce Miller. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A new rental permitting bylaw in Amherst is coming under fire from landlords. The Amherst Landlords Association, which represents about 500 members, says that imposing a revised inspection system will increase rents and will infringe on renters' rights. If the new bylaw is adopted, it would go into effect next spring and would replace a self-certification process. The town council will vote on the proposed bylaw at their meeting tonight. The 20th annual Hot Chocolate Run for Safe Passage raised around $780,000 yesterday, which will go toward helping survivors of domestic violence. Around 6,000 runners and walkers participated in this year's event despite the cold rain. Safe Passage Executive Director Marianne Winters. 
the forces that are kind of against us, societal oppression, poverty, you know, patriarchy, are embedded in our society in a way that it takes minute incremental change day to day in order to get where we need to be. The annual event provides around one-third of the operating budget for the year. Massachusetts has become the second U.S. state to report a large uptick in the number of child pneumonia cases. Doctors in the Bay State noticed the rise in cases as Ohio reported enough cases to meet that state's definition of an outbreak. But physicians in Western Mass believe it is mostly RSV, a respiratory virus that kills more than 10,000 Americans each year, mostly young children and the elderly. However, officials do not think it's a new respiratory disease, but, quote, rather a large uptick in the number of pneumonia cases normally seen at one time. Joan Holliday, WHMP News. Tracking drier weather for the start of the work week for today. Mostly cloudy and mild, highs 46 to 50. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows around 30. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, highs in the lower 40s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m., Boss Gay Mountain in Pittsfield is offering a 30% discount on any 8-hour lift ticket. Boss Gay's family-friendly vibe welcomes everyone. Whether it's your first time skiing or you're a pro on the slopes, we can't wait to see you on the mountain. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Boss Gay Mountain in Pittsfield, Mass. Available this Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Do you think the Amish sleep in horse-drawn beds? Whatever beds they sleep in, the Amish build beds that are simply beautiful with subtle arts and crafts touches. There's an old Amish proverb, the most important things in your home are people. Maybe so, but those people need a place to sleep. Amish made beds from Talon furniture. So good looking, so well built. Talon has Amish beds ready for delivery or ordering the wood and finish you want. Then, we have beds made in Vermont that have all of the craftsmanship of Amish beds, made from cherry or maple, but these Vermont-built beds are just a touch more elegant in their design. How about an upholstered bed? An upholstered headboard and frame. It's a really nice look and feel. Allen Furniture's upholstered beds come in dozens of fabrics and leathers. In between today and tomorrow, there will be time in bed. Spending that time in a nice bed just feels good. Come to Talon Furniture little bed boutique just down the hill from Amherst College. Did you know you can get your prescriptions for less at your local pharmacy? You can with GoodRx. It's the free app that can save you money on your medications. Just search for your prescription, choose the pharmacy and the price that works best for you, and then show your GoodRx coupon to your pharmacist at the drop-off counter. GoodRx works at over 70,000 pharmacies, including Walmart, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, and it works whether you have insurance or not. It's easy to save. Next time you drop off your prescription, check GoodRx. To start saving today, go to GoodRx.com. GoodRx is not insurance. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are listening to constitutional scholar and uh, educator extraordinaire, uh, Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller uh, from Western New England University School of Law. So there is a case I don't mind admitting I'm kind of nervous about involving administrative agencies and their adjudicatory powers. So could you talk yeah. about that? And Bruce, yeah. let me interrupt. Sure. That sounds really boring. Yeah. Your life is at stake. To listeners who think this yeah. is boring, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, but yeah. listen up. This really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this case in, involves a, a guy named George Jarkazi. At least we think that's how you pronounce his name. 
Uh, he is a right-wing talk show host uh, who also operates hedge funds. You know, a classic early 20th, first century villain, I guess. <laughs> and, and he was uh, found to have inflated the value of various assets he was managing, which sounds sort of familiar too, uh, in order to be able to charge his clients more for uh, administering their investments. We have a federal agency that's responsible for policing that stuff. It's called the Securities and Exchange Commission. It's been around since 1933. The SEC did what they have done since 1933. That is, they initiated a civil proceeding before an administrative law judge, that is a judge that sits within the agency, to seek a fine against Jarchese and to force him to disgorge his ill-gotten gains. Let me just briefly interrupt that yep. narrative and just ask you, how many administrative agencies do we have and how many of them do such? We've, uh, we've got a couple of thousand administrative law judges Probably the ones that are uh, uh, most familiar to many of us are Social Security administrative law judges and OSHA administrative law judges. Some of the early occupation safety and health. Safety yep. and health. Uh, the SEC are among, among the first ones. This system of administrative adjudication is part of, of uh, a, a, a real change in our governance that began during the New Deal when we established federal agencies and charged them with policing abuses by capital. So here's what Jarchese argues. He says that the SEC cannot fine him in this kind of an administrative proceeding because they did not give him a jury trial. He is entitled, he says, by the Seventh Amendment to the Constitution to a jury trial in any civil proceeding. How many administrative agencies can do a jury trial? Uh, uh, none of them can. The point is that this would cripple all administrative enforcement. It would force the agencies to go into federal court and seek, uh, get, try to get jury awards. Now, the point is not the jury trial. The point is to cripple uh, the, the, uh, the, the agencies. Now, what does the Seventh Amendment say? The Seventh Amendment does give a right to a jury trial in civil cases. But it's suits at common law. That is, the kinds of suits that were filed in federal court in diversity cases back in the late 18th century. And to clarify, yep. at common law, is the way to think about it is to distinguish it from statutory law. Exactly. Common law is law made by judges over time. Law the, made by judges over, over time. Over, over our, centuries. Our contract law, our property law, our tort law, our trust law, all of that common law case gets you a jury trial if you're in federal court. Nobody thought that when Congress passed a statute that they had to grant a right to sue. The Eighth Circuit just held that they didn't grant a right to sue in the Voting Rights Act. Um, it's up to Congress to decide how to enforce the statutes that it creates. So we have always believed. But the oral argument in the Supreme Court on Cherkasy's case was last Wednesday. And it looks like six of the nine are ready to buy the argument that at least in these kinds of administrative cases, there has to be a jury trial, which means that SEC enforcement will in effect um, end. Now, you might wonder, wow, that sounds bad. Uh, what about Social Security cases? 
Do Social Security recipients whose applications for disability benefits are denied uh, by an administrative law judge, do they get a jury trial too? Justice Kavanaugh has an answer to that. He says no. Only if the government is, is seeking relief against somebody do they get a jury trial. If somebody is seeking relief from the government, they don't get a jury trial. So we're likely to see a decision along those lines because the last thing that this court wants to do is really expand jury trial rights to people who will use them. What this is about is ending agency enforcement as we know it. The entire regime of administrative law, OSHA is probably the worst example. OSHA cases, occupational safety and health cases, um, proceed entirely by government administrative enforcement. If, if that's gone, uh, health in the workplace uh, protected by federal law will be gone as well. Well, Bruce Miller, you've given us so much to think about and, frankly, a lot to worry about. But uh, some, good, some good things, too. These immunity cases aren't nothing. They're not nothing. Yeah. Thank you so much. I can't wait. It's always such a treat. First Monday of every month, Bruce Miller. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. We're going to be right back More with Writer's talk, Block with talk, Megan Zoom. Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. You've been miserable with joint pain for so long. You want and deserve relief, but you just keep putting off that call to QC Kinetics. Okay, now's the time. Listen up. QC Kinetics is rolling out something huge for the first time ever. It's a voucher for $500 off your first joint pain treatment. That's right, $500 off. Whether it's your knees, hips, shoulder, or back, the QC Kinetics voucher applies to any area. But this is a limited time offer, so no more putting off that call. QC Kinetics is the largest regenerative clinic in the country with tens of thousands of satisfied patients who are able to get lasting relief with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. So reach out to the team at QC Kinetics today and ask them, how can I get a $500 off voucher? They'll walk you through the steps and get you started on your way to relief. Don't wait. This is a limited time offer. Call for your free consultation today. QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Limited time only. Not valid with any other offer. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Folks, last night I took a stroll down Hollywood Boulevard, and you know, strange things are happening there. Store windows have been turned into glittering fairylands. Street corners are sprouting lighted trees, and everyone seems to be wearing a very special kind of a glow. So I said to myself, Dino, you know something? It's beginning to look like Christmas. <laughs> And it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So Megan's in. Christmas, Hanukkah, yeah. Kwanzaa, they're all coming. Presents are 
going yeah. to be looked for, and where should people look? Well, it, and uh, it's beginning to look even more like Hanukkah because that begins on Thursday night. Um, and so, with these holidays fast approaching, um, and um, I thought we, and because we focus on books, I wanted to speak with somebody who sells books. So, we're our guest today is Liz Rosenberg, owner of the Toy Box in Amherst. Welcome, Liz. Thank you, Megan. Yes, and although it is called the Toy Box and they have wonderful toys, they also sell books. Liz also sells books, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So how long have you um, owned the Toy Box? Uh, we actually just celebrated 20 years. Ah, congratulations. And, Thank you. And you're right in downtown Amherst on uh, 201 North Pleasant Street. Um, exactly. Just in case, in case somebody doesn't know. UMass and Amherst College. Perfect placement. Um so what kind of things do you have in store in general? Um, you know, books, toys, you know, what, what, what's kind of, do you have a particular focus? Um, well, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about that um, recently because people have asked about, you know, how, how an independent toy store chooses their toys mm -hmm, right. and how they differentiate themselves from others. And I think that, what I've concluded from my selection, finally, um, is that really everything I choose has some bit of joy and mm. um, an impetus for laughter and then maybe education as well. Yeah. Well, but I think that it's important for me, I find that laughter is, is so underrated um and 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 joy and all of the teachings that games and toys and gifts like that uh give kids they also give adults mm -hmm. and college students and high school students and seniors and so we really do carry items for all ages um i know everybody says that but it's true <laughs> um and you know because play is vital for every stage of life so that said, we have a, you know, I curate a selection of toys and games that are appropriate, I think, for our community, that are desired by our community. And so, you know, it's a nice tight-knit local mm -hmm. establishment mm -hmm. that we also sell online, but it's really geared to Amherst, Massachusetts and the surrounding region. Yeah. And are do those are those particular parameters any different with the books that you choose to have available either through the store or your website? Uh, well, we don't carry books for adults. <laughs> um, but other than that, no. Um, I, I definitely think of, I mean, with everything in the store, I think of who our community is and, you know, what... How to, how to best represent our community in um, in books, in graphic books, in picture books, um, and you know really really play to our community members. Yep, that makes that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, um, if somebody comes into the store and they're like, you know, there's, I assume there's people that come in the store and they want to buy a gift for a kid they know well, and then there's also people that come in the store and probably want to buy a gift for a kid they don't know uh, very well. Yes. Um, starting with the often. first, uh, <laughs> often, yeah. Starting with the first, how do you help them? What kind of um, guidance can you give to somebody um, buying a, a book for their own child, for somebody that they know well? Well, if they, if it's for their own child, you know, they know their interests, they know their reading level. Um, whether they, you know, are going to, whether they want a book that they can read during the day or for bedtime, that makes a difference as well. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a, a page turner or whether it's something to kind of calm, 
calm children down before bed. Um, so that makes it a lot easier than we could just talk about. Mostly it's about um, topics, mm -hmm. you know, reading experience and age, but topics and then, you know, just trying to find something that will catapult their imagination. That's I like, I like I like the way you put that. Um, and so when somebody <laughs> somebody comes in and they're like, I got to buy a book for my nephew, and I don't know this kid at all. Um, he's okay. ten. <laughs> what? Okay. What? How well, can you help see, them? That's great. That's already something to go on. So if he's ten years old, typically I will confirm what grade. Um, that will help us figure out, mm -hmm. you know, what is right, and then you know, just kind of as as you work with a customer, you can kind of get a sense of whether this is um, too much above or too much below their reading tendencies. Um, but really just find, if you can find one connection. Mm. So mm -hmm. if you know absolutely nothing about the child, then we have lots of, you know, we'll, we'll typically go for the newer or the more kind of general, there are lots of general picture books um, that fit bills. Um, but if, you know, you have like, the child really, you know, loves animals, or is really into science, or you know, any any of those, is is great guidance. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, and I will say this with ooh, a little bit of anxiety. Um, at the moment, we have all our books uh, alphabetized by authors, mm -hmm. and the first thing we're going to do in the new year is change that to categories ah. because. I that guess is, Oops, we can help when, when we have, you know, we're not working with another customer, we can absolutely help each customer individually, help them find books because we've read all the books, we know the books, yeah. but um, for a customer to come in and look on their own, I think it's a little daunting to have it done by author. So. I can imagine. Yeah. Buzz, you have a question. I Don't do, Liz Rosenberg, uh, uh, of the Toy Box in Amherst. So um, when we buy books for children are we trying to just mm -hmm. give them a book which suits their reading level and their interest level right now or are we trying to advance their ability to read by getting something that's a little bit more challenging yeah, that's for a good them? question yeah well you know that is an interesting question um i recently listened to something that said it doesn't matter what you read you shouldn't be trying to read, you know, the latest, the greatest, the hardest, the most classic, all of that. It matters that you read, period. And I think that, um, especially with children, you don't want to overwhelm them mm, and true. you don't want to make them feel like they can't do anything. Um, you really want to give them something that they can enjoy. And, you know, challenge might be um, that there is some information in the back of the book that's more uh, that gives you reading guidance for the next the next mm -hmm. book the next level mm -hmm. or if it's about uh, if it's a biography if it gives you other people to read about that might be a next level but I do think that matching the reading level is important because you because so you want to encourage 
further reading. Yeah. You don't want to discourage any, you know, you don't want to make things too hard. I think clearly the answer is you buy two books and you buy one that is uh, sort of <laughs> at their current reading level and then one that is a little more advanced for them. And then, you, you know, you make two sales. Um, I can say that. You don't have to. Um, I could talk to Liz Rosenberg, <laughs> owner of the Toy Box in Amherst, about books. Um, and I know you're not in the store right now and can't be, you know, seeing all of your stock in front of you. But would you be able to make some recommendations in general of books that are kind of your go-to that you think, um, you know, you often recommend and for these different age groups for, you know, and I'll, I'll remind you as we go through a picture book, an early reader, a middle grade reader and a young adult. And tell us a little bit about for each one of these, like what what's so great about them. So let's start well, with picture book. I will tell you right now. So we do have a really great bookstore in town, Amherst Books, which is awesome. Oh, yes. Um, and we carry um, we carry books for babies, um, soft books, board books, um, some educational books that are more you know like lift the flap things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and we also carry a huge smattering of picture books. Yeah, we do not carry books for older kids ah, at okay. the moment. Um, and we do send people send to Amazon. Amazon. Book. Okay, that's good um, to know. Yeah, yeah, we are definitely limited in space mm -hmm. um, and would like the bookstores to remain. So, yeah, 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 that's, that's lovely. Yeah. I like that cooperation. So let's talk about the, um, yeah. the, the, the younger kids' books. So what, what are your, okay. some of well, your favorites? Well, I will tell you one of my favorite books um, for the babies, for the little ones, um, is an accordion book mm, interesting. called Baby Faces. Um, and it is is all pictures and on one side it is all happy baby faces and on the other side it is all kind of crying sad faces. <laughs> and they are they're fabulous the, the the images are incredible bright attract babies always and you can set it up so that if they're lying down on the floor or on the, in their crib or however um, they can look at it. So I love those accordion books and I love the soft books that have texture to them so that children can play with those. And they can um, um, devour their literature, as I used to say when my kids were can, sucking on their, 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 their board books. <laughs> um, there's a line that we carry called Indestructibles and ah. they are fabulous little soft books made out of like a Tyvek material. Mm -hmm. So they are chewable, <laughs> bathable. I love how books, books for babies are beyond books. They're books, but but they're 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 physical toys. They're chew toys. They're you know they really oh, yeah. cover yeah, a lot absolutely. of ground. We have bath books that go in the water. So yeah. Um, and a couple of other things. One of the things I will always do um, if there's kind of a no like you know um, an open ended request um, of not knowing the child and such, I will go to our local book section, local authors. Pioneer Valley is full, as yes. we know, of local authors and illustrators. And so Aaron Becker's books that are um, wordless are amazing. Um, ben uh, Gundersheimer ah, yes. also has some has some incredible books that are music-oriented. Um, Mr. G, right? Mr. Also G, known as Mr. G. As, yeah. Yes, to not say Gundersheimer. <laughs> and... Um, so the local books, that is one thing we do have categorized in the store because, you know, and, and we do have an, we do have Emily Dickinson in there ah. with our local authors. Do we have, do we have a know. picture book? Um, what kind of Emily Dickinson um, books do There's you have for little book. ones? Oh, lovely. A, a young poetry book. So yeah, Great. it's wonderful. Do you have those um, wonderful activity, all... activity books for kids? Oh, yes. That's like a whole different section, but yes. 
um, lots of activity books, things to draw in, write in, um, lots of great journals with fabulous prompts. Oh, that's nice, yeah. Um, and for all ages, for the journals, we, we even carry a journal that was created in England that is made by a mom who started with creating a prompted journal for her daughter, who was, I think, eight at the time. And then the mom went younger and created a three to six-year-old journal. And it's something to do with the parent. It's an amazing, amazing product. I love it. That's really cool. Um, and also, yeah. um, in being, we're in the Pioneer Valley, and a lot of parents are very concerned about um, exposing their kids to authors from lots of different cultures and supporting diverse mm -hmm. authors. Um, are there books that you recommend um, that um, fit that bill, that really um, will broaden the, the cultural understanding of kids? Yes, absolutely. Um, that's definitely one of my go-tos when I when I am ordering books, and I have an amazing a uh, couple of amazing book reps who know my store, mm -hmm. know me, me for twenty years or so, and um, and they are great with recommendations. So that's a lot of how I find these books. Um, so we have books that are about uh, Syrian children, families um, that are about Jewish children and families. Um, we have a lot of books in Spanish, a lot of books that are about, oh, using your voice, nice, being strong about your voice, speaking out, um, being accepted, how to deal with bullies. So a lot of the topics um, that are challenging these days in the real world, mm -hmm. um, we look for books that kind of, that address those issues. Yeah. A little for yeah. kids. Um, Liz Rosenberg, owner of the Toy Box in Amherst. Um, the is there any? Um, you may not be a no, but I'm just going to ask if you know of any um, thing that's great that you've got coming in for 2023 that you're excited to see or excited to get into people. 2024. Hands. I mean, 2024. <laughs> I don't know what year it is. In, in the roughly yeah. 30 seconds we in the have roughly left. Roughly 30 seconds that we have 30 left. 30 seconds. Um, I'm going to say that we're just going to we're going to expand our um, our graphic novel. Oh, wonderful. I, there, there's one graphic novel everyone's waiting for, and I'm not going to say what it is just yet. Okay. But we will get it. You're going to have to check, you're gonna have to check in at the Toy Box with Liz yeah, Rosenberg to find out what that is. The Toy Box, which is and on North Pleasant Street in Amherst, and I so love that we have the Toy Box as an alternative to box stores and Amazon. It, uh, let's buy local. Let's shop at these wonderful shops that uh, – do so much for our community. So thank you so much, thank Megan. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you so Liz. much, Liz. Thank, thank you so much, you. listeners. Thank you so for much. Our pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Talk to Talk. We'll be here tomorrow. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman. Ooh. Weekdays at noon. Get informed and get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. W